Well, good morning. Again, welcome. So glad to be able to share God's word with you this morning. I want to take just a quick moment to acknowledge that this is not maybe how we expected to do church. And I know some of you are probably in a living room, maybe with kids running around, or maybe you're watching it on your phone or, or listening to it. Um, but I just want to say we're glad to be with you. And, you know, I would liken this situation a bit to like running a marathon. In fact, I have a memory uh, back in 2011, I ran the Oklahoma City Marathon. And a little disclaimer, before I ran the marathon, I actually injured my IT band, which is a, a muscle that connects to your knee. And I didn't realize how bad it was until mile 11, right? So you start running, I get to mile 11, and I, and I remember feeling this pain. And it was sort of this nagging pain that I could still move forward, but it was a bit less like a jog and more of a step drag, step drag, as I sort of limped my way through the rest of the race. And I remember things got worse before they got better. By mile 13, it started to pour rain. And mind you, it was only 40 degrees outside, so that rain was freezing cold. And by mile 14, that rain turned to hail. And I remember the rest of the race, it being one of the most difficult and mentally trying things I've ever had to do. And I feel in some ways, this journey that we're all on together in the midst of a global pandemic feels like we're in the middle of a marathon. We can't quite see the finish line. We've been going day by day. The novelty of this thing beginning is over now. We've been in it for a while, but we don't know when it's going to end. And I think that's why now more than ever, it is important that we run this race together. The Christian walk was not meant to be run alone. And so even though this isn't ideal, even though some of you are in your living rooms and unable to focus to an online church service, I would encourage you to engage with us. And whether that means engaging in the chat during the service or even after the service, connecting with Pastor Joe and I via Facebook Live, we would love to see you and connect with you after the service. Because I think now more than ever, that connection is vital. That said, I think that our message for today carries a really important question. It's a question that Jesus asked his disciples. He asked the question, who do you say that I am? And it's a question that I think mattered back in the first century in the Middle East. It was important to the disciples, but I think that question matters to us even today. Because there are a lot of things that I think people, when you ask them that question, who is Jesus? We can get a lot of different answers. So we're going to start here in Mark 8. It'll be Mark 8, 27 through 33. Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now we need to stop there. Because this is interesting that it's the first human response to claim that Jesus is the Messiah. Which we've had a couple moments, right, where God, in fact, has called Jesus the Son of God. We had the demons refer to Jesus as the Son of God. But this is the very first time in Mark's gospel where another human claims Jesus to be the Messiah. And what's interesting is the question, who do you say I am, is not a question that just matters here in this moment with Peter, but it is one that transcends time. And I think there are a few different things we can look at. Number one, who you say Jesus is determines how you respond to him. The reality is, if he's just a teacher, if that's what you believe about Jesus, 
then maybe Jesus is sort of viewed as some sort of life coach or someone you go to for advice or some sort of guru. If you say that Jesus is simply a prophet, then maybe Jesus was just some sort of historical figure that helped get a religion off the ground. But the reality is all he was was a person who mattered then. It doesn't really matter much for us now. But the truth is, by Peter claiming that Jesus is the Messiah, he's making a much bigger claim. You know, there were typical, typically three responses to Jesus in the Gospels. There were those who hated him. So you can take the religious elite who were afraid that Jesus was somehow some sort of threat to their power. You had those who were terrified by Jesus, which might be at moments the disciples when Jesus would perform an incredible miracle. Or even the demons were afraid of Jesus. And then you had those who adored Jesus. Whether Jesus healed the sick, rose someone from the dead, fed thousands of people, and people bowed down and worshiped him. Jesus says and asks this question, who do you say that I am? The second idea is that Jesus in this moment isn't just looking for bandwagon fans, but for personal participants in his mission. Bandwagon fans are the type of fans, uh, you, I could call myself a bandwagon fan in 2015 when I was cheering for the Royals in the World Series or in 2019 when I'm cheering for the Chiefs, right? I became a bandwagon fan. When they're playing well, I love them. If they're not playing well, meh, I could care less. I think this is the idea that, that you're going to see here when Peter has a bit of a disconnect with Jesus. It's because Peter wants part of Jesus, but when things are going bad, when Jesus says things are going to get a lot worse, Peter doesn't want that. He wants only the part of Jesus that seems good in his eyes in that moment. And so Jesus is asking a bigger question here. He's saying, Peter, are you really with me? Let's return to the text in verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke plainly about this. Now we need to pause here for just a second because Jesus doesn't always speak plainly. In fact, many times when he's talking to the disciples or when he's teaching, he uses things called parables. He speaks in, cri in cryptic ways. And oftentimes, his disciples don't get the message until later. And they have questions for what he's trying to say. So for Jesus to speak plainly is a big deal. And he says to Peter, what's going to happen is going to be hard. And this is hard for Peter to wrestle with. Now understand something about Peter. Peter is... Is a, grew up in a Jewish home. He was probably a good Jewish kid. He probably knew a lot of the Old Testament, understood the prophecy that there was a coming Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ that was to come. But for many in this time, understanding in the, in the prophet Isaiah, there was, a, there was almost as if two different people wrote the book. Because from chapters 1 through 40, we have this picture of the coming Messiah as a conquering king. And then after that, there's a sort of different picture of who the Messiah is. In fact, what, what we see in the second half of Isaiah is a suffering servant. And so for some, they may have seen that as actually two different people. There was going to be a conquering king and then the suffering servant, this roaring lion and the sacrificial lamb. But Jesus is, is saying, Peter, you, you don't get it. Both of these people are me. I am the conquering king who is going to defeat death, but I am also the sacrificial lamb, the suffering servant who's going to give my life up, life up for your sake. 
It's a bit like looking at an optical illusion. Some of you may have seen this optical illusion. It, some of you may see a woman who is looking away, a young woman looking away. Some of you may see an old lady with a giant chin and huge nose. Right? And some of you may not see anything at all, and that's totally fine. But if you take a look, you may see one or the other. So Peter is thinking that this is the conquering king that has come to overthrow the Romans. But actually, Jesus has come to overthrow death itself. And what's interesting is, is, is Jesus is rebuking, and that word rebuke is a strong word. It's the same word that Jesus uses to rebuke the demons. And so Jesus has come and says, look, look, this idea that you have of what I'm supposed to be is adversarial to what I want to accomplish. I have not just come to overthrow, I have come to overthrow death itself. I have not just come as a lion, but I have come as a lamb to be slaughtered. And in this moment, Jesus is calling out the fact that Peter wants Jesus to be something that he's not quite. And my question for us this morning is this. Are we any better than Peter? What is our view of Jesus? If someone were to ask you, who is Jesus, what would you say? I think some people have a view of Jesus that views Jesus as sort of a genie in the bottle that exists to meet our needs, to make us happy, healthy, and whole. I think some people have a false view of Jesus that says, well, Jesus exists to sort of be my therapist, to make my life better, to give me, make me happier. Some people may have a view of Jesus that he's just sort of this, this person in history who had a good teaching, and, and if we follow his ways and love people, then life will be better for us and for those around us. But I think all of these visions of Jesus can be incomplete. I think there are two ways we can know that we have the right view of who Jesus is. One is this, how we experience suffering can reveal our true view of who Jesus is. The true reality is that Jesus warned his people that there will be difficult seasons. There will be hardship. And if when we experience hardship, we see that as somehow, somehow God is slighting us or that God is dealing us a bad hand, then I think we're misunderstanding the reality of what Jesus meant when he says that we need to take up our cross there are going to be difficult moments in this life. I think another one is our picture of Jesus may be off if our picture of Jesus looks exactly like us. If he thinks exactly the way we think or votes the way we vote or spends money the way we spend money or likes the things we like, if it lines up exactly with who we are, then perhaps we are creating a Jesus in our own image and not seeing Jesus for who he truly is. You see, a proper view of who Jesus is is going to challenge us. It's going to be difficult. And so often I think we invent a Jesus that is all resurrection and no cross. And what we need to understand is that we have to have a full view of Jesus and understand that there are going to be moments where we are going to be challenged by his teachings where he's going to speak into the deepest parts of us and, and confront some things that are, are often not aligned with God's will for our life. There are going to be seasons where we are going to need to pick up our cross. Now, the story doesn't end here. Verse 34, Then he called to the crowd, to him along with the disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? 
Or who can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes to the Father's glory and the holy angels. Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're going to have to pick up your cross. There are going to be moments where this is going to be difficult. And he's saying, I am a king, and if you want to follow me, you are going to have to come to the cross too. And the word he uses here for losing yourself is actually the word psyche, which is tied around this idea of our our, our personal identity. What do we put our identity and hope in? For many of us, that can shift. If, if we build our identity around what we do, who we are, what we've accomplished, the money we've accrued, the fame we've accrued, the way our reputations and the way people look at us, then that identity is built on a house of sand. Because if that comes crumbling down, if we lose our job, if something goes wrong in the ways in which we've built it, our entire identity, then our whole life falls to pieces. And Jesus is saying, build your identity on the solid rock. Build your identity on me. He is saying that we need to change our lenses. You see, for those of you who, who have poor eyesight, what happens when you put on glasses? Everything around you becomes made more clearly. And I think Jesus is saying, look, you need a new lens for how you view the world. You need a lens that views the world the way I see the world. There's this amazing quote by C.S. Lewis that I think helps frame this for us. And I'm going to go ahead and put it on the screen so you can follow along. It says this, The more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Our real selves are all waiting for us and him. The more I resist him and try to live life on my own, the more I become dominated by my own heredity and upbringing and surrounding and natural desires. In fact, what I so proudly call myself becomes merely the meeting place for trains of events that I never started and cannot stop. What I call my wishes become merely the desires thrown up by my physical organism or pumped into me by other men's thoughts. But it is when I turn to Christ, when I give myself up to his personality, that I finally begin to have a real personality all of my own. How counterintuitive is it that for us to gain, we must learn to let go. Give up our own selfish desires and pride in order to allow Christ to change us and transform us. See, following Jesus is not about behavior modification, but it's about complete transformation. So wherever you're at, I want to ask the question, who is Jesus? What lens are you viewing the world through? Because I believe that if we can change our lens, then we can see the entire world differently. And that changes the way we see and view everything. You know, I did finish that marathon. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever done, the most mentally and physically challenged thing I've ever done. Um, I have a picture here that shows me uh, at the finish line. I was very proud of, of finishing it, even though it was my slowest marathon time ever due to all the circumstances. But the funny part about the story is when I finished the marathon, I made one grave mistake. You see, I parked my car in the middle of Oklahoma City. I had no idea where I parked. I had completely blocked it out of my memory. So I'm searching the city after just running a marathon in freezing cold weather. My body is shivering. I cannot find my car. And I begin to panic. 
So I remember running over to the, where the finish line was. There was a medical tent, and I get inside this medical tent. They give me a blanket. I wrap up, try to warm up, and I ask a lady if I can use her phone, and she said, sure, but I don't want you to steal my phone, so I'm just going to hold it, and you can talk. It's just really weird. So I have her call my dad, and she holds the phone up, and I'm putting my ear to the phone. And I said, Dad, I, I'm lost. I don't know where my car is. And so my dad did the, did a good thing, called someone he knew in Oklahoma to come and find me. And sure enough, I found my way out. And it was a, a story to tell later. But I share that with you because I think sometimes we get this mentality that when we get to the end of this marathon, of this, this thing that we're all in together, this pandemic, that somehow on the other side of this thing, things are going to go back to normal. Life is going to be great. And we're going to get back to some sense of, of completeness. But the reality is this, God's call on you, yours and my life to be a disciple is not just at the end of this thing, it's right now. It's right now in the midst of a global pandemic. It's changing our lens right now so that when we see the world, we see those of us around us who are hurting and we say, how can we be the hands and feet of Jesus to those around us? The city of Wichita needs us, the world needs us to be followers of Jesus and to love those the way Christ is called to love. So that's my challenge to you. There will be an end to this thing. We will get to the end of this marathon, but the world's going to look different. And right here, right now, we are called to be disciples of Jesus. Who do you say that Jesus is? The way you answer that question is going to change the way you view the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we hear your words, as we hear your rebuke, Lord, may we take that as a challenge and, and as we take that as, as any ways in which that we have a false view of who you are, Lord, we ask that you would uh, speak to that, that you would minister to that, that you would flip the tables of our heart in moments and places where we are, um, where pride has taken over. And we ask, Lord, for a new uh, understanding of your love and grace that would transform us, that would change the way we see the world, and that when we see others, we would see them the way that you see them. Help us to love those around us for your beautiful name. Amen.